to Crimes from the East. I'm your host, Pia, and with me is Alex. Uh, coming in from, I don't know where, which part of the world are you in, Alex? I'm three for three right now. Three episodes, three countries. I'm hailing from the, the land of Pimenton, Paprika, España. <laughs> Ooh, Spain. Where are you coming in for the next episode? Like Belize? I know, right? I need to really, I need to mix it up. Azerbaijan? We have lots of listeners there, apparently. Oh, really? Oh, interesting. We're like in the top 10 cool. of the Azerbaijan true crime list. And I'm like, wow, we have listeners there? That's great. Azerbaijani? I like the sound of that, actually. Azerbaijani. Hi, how are you, Pia? Are you still alive? I feel like you might actually be a zombie. Settling into this. This is my new normal now. I'm just <laughs> always sick, always stuffed up, and I'm going to sound like this forever. I'm sure my voice sounds different. You sound very sultry and mysterious. Right, right, right. right. I like it, actually. Have you been getting enough vitamin D? Yes, I have to eat these super high dose, like 50,000 IUG vitamin D pills because I'm low on it. Doesn't seem like it's helping you that much, though. Yeah, it's the curse of uh, being in New England, I guess. And having a toddler, don't forget. Yeah, just being indoors at all times. She's still a toddler? Yeah, she's still a toddler. Yeah, she's a toddler. And that's pretty much the only outing I get is when I go pick her up from school. <laughs> But yeah. I like that because I get to drive. I typically don't really drive around much. Like my husband drives most of the time. Mm -hmm. And I like that little drive by myself. Put on like my dead mouse or whatever EDM sometimes. <laughs> but I find that to be dangerous because nice. like higher beats per minute, the faster I think I start driving. Drive. So I've had to change <laughs> the genre of music <laughs> for picking up my kid. What happens if you listen to Bollywood? I never do. Do you start like swerving, kind of car dancing? Yeah. I'll just be singing, swerving. The car will be like, <laughs> what, are, what are those called? Tektronics? What right. are those? Um, lifts, like doing little bouncies. Bouncy bounce. <laughs> yeah, I listen to like lo-fi music. These two albums that I recently found, they're so cool. They're the soundtrack from Zelda Breath of the Wild. Uh-huh. Like an orchestral version? They're actually inspired by them. So it's not like an official soundtrack, but they've taken the music from the game yeah. and made their own like version of each uh, track. And it is so beautiful. It is so chill and positive and vibrant and relaxing. And you just feel really good. Amazing. I think I've heard some of them. Korok Forest. I love that one. Korok Forest. And Tal Tal Heights. Tal yeah. Tal Heights. Yeah. Those are my favorite tracks. I have um fun vitamin D facts real oh. quickly circling back to that. Because it's the winter months and everywhere mm -hmm. I've gone, three countries and it's still kind of dark and cold. Yeah. Northern hemisphere style. Um, But I learned today that... If you put your store-bought mushrooms out in the sun for 15 to 20 minutes, they absorb like five or six times the daily value of vitamin D that you need as a human to be happy and not sad. 
and you then eat the mushrooms after laying them out in the sun and you don't need to take vitamin D supplements necessarily. And my second fun fact is related to vitamin D supplements, often made out of sheep's wool. If you taste the vitamin D liquid in your capsules or if you take the drops, it tastes sort of sheepy. Sheepy taste? I don't even know what that tastes like, but okay. Like you need to find a wool sweater and just suck on it, and that's that's <laughs> it. So I bet most of it comes from like New Zealand because they got tons of sheep there, or maybe Azerbaijan. I don't know why Azerbaijani sheep's the best in the vitamin D. Game. <laughs> like they have a lot of sheep there potentially. Um, the last thing I have to say is I just hear myself giving away my fun facts and it reminded me of a horoscope thing that I read that described my sign as a like know-it-all in a not fun way and (laughs) now I'm like making fun of myself in my head that's what Leo's kind of are right no no we're not know-it-alls I thought we were know-it-alls that's why we have a podcast I guess Leo's like (laughs) for the most annoying podcast we love the sound of our own voice. <laughs> do we, though? I mean, I think we do. I think we think we do. But in secretly, we're like, oh, that sounds horrible. <laughs> so our expectations are very high. Let me put it that way. Right. Yeah. The, the bar is too high for Leo. That's fun that we're both Leo's. Um, yeah. So I want to make a cool segue, but I don't actually know what we're talking about today. Oh. All I know is that it's mm-hmm. spooky and serious and a little bit esoteric and yes. yeah. We have so many things in today's case. Um, I chose it basically because I hadn't heard about it before. I haven't heard any other podcast cover it. and. There are topics in there that I would love to talk about and explore. So I was like, this is perfect. And I want to give credit to my friend, George, who told uh, me about the snakebite case, the snakebite murder. Oh, I remember George. Well, I don't know him, but shout outs. Thank you, George. He told me about this case when we met up a couple weeks ago in a party. And he's like, hey, have you heard about this one from Kerala? So he's from Kerala and he keeps track of all the, you know, hot news all the crime and whatnot going on in the state. Hot Carol crime. Hot Carolyn crime. That could be a podcast. So yes, we are back to Kerala and even back to Thiruvananthapuram for today's case. Oh, if yeah. If you remember, okay. our temple, the Padmanabhaswami temple, was yep. in Thiruvananthapuram and the sage was told to find the endless forest. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Thiruvananthapuram actually means the city of the endless forest. So we are literally back in the endless forest. Nice. Good to be back. Or is it? It seems to be also a place with endless crime stories, too. And like creepy stuff. And I don't think it's because it's particularly violent or the people are more violent or anything like that. But it's more so because it's well reported. And the cops mm. seem to have a great knack at solving high-profile heinous crimes here rather quickly, which is why we hear about it. Because when a case goes cold, it just goes on a shelf. They throw out the files. No one ever talks about it. Right. 
But these cops, like in Kerala, they seem to actually solve all their cases within like two years. So that's why it stays in the news. And damn, Kerala deserves a medal for this. Yeah, accolades to Kerala. We should come up with some sort of, you know, fake, untangible award that we assign to good police in our stories. And we can give one to the Kerala or police or reporting or whatever authorities. <laughs> yeah, like we have, uh, we made up the Budu Awards for the dum dums in our stories. <laughs> yeah, I and so about to that, counter actually. that, we need to make um, what, what should we call it? I don't know, top cop awards. We'll have to think about this one, I guess. We'll we'll come up with it in the next episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so this is a rather recent case. It's from 2017, and unfortunately, we do not have a legal judgment on it yet, but. I feel like whatever the outcome, the case is still like quite disturbing and it has plenty of meat in there to discuss and dissect today. So I thought we can go ahead with the story, even if we don't have a judgment. So it's a non-veg episode, eh? Mm-hmm. I guess all of our episodes, most of them are pretty non-veg. Very meaty. Today, we will talk about the Nantan Kode multiple murder case. Technically, it's a serial killer case since there were four victims. Okay. And I just want to say, if I'm saying this word wrong, I'm very sorry. Is this a place? The name of a place? Yes. This is a place in Kerala. I guess it's like an, a suburb in Tiruvananthapuram. Okay. All right. So let's start with the murders. On the 8th of April in 2017... Neighbors of a quiet, mysterious, dark home in Nantankore spotted smoke spilling out of the closed doors and windows of the two-story home. Alarmed by this, the fire department was called, and when the first responders broke into the home, they came upon the burning bodies of four people in the home. They had all been hacked to death. Many were in pieces, and they were in various stages of decomposition. Not quite the scene they expected. Wait, that's that's just a lot of stuff. And I just wanted to mention, this home is like 600 feet from the official residence of the chief minister of Kerala. What? (laughs) So, yeah, there's tons of security and all kinds of protocol around that area for, like, who goes in and out and all that stuff. There should be lots of, like, CCTV cameras or whatever. That's why, I guess, when they called the fire department, they were there in minutes because they served this area first. That's not normal. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. Um, wait, okay, so just to circle back, the first responders show up, and what you're telling me, in essence, is that they break into the house and discover a bunch of, basically, body parts. Yes. In various stages of decomposition Mm -hmm. that are alight with fire. They were alight, but not, like, blazing in a fury or something like that. The fire wasn't fierce enough to do much damage so the bodies were still recoverable and were able to be autopsied okay like it had just been started the fire had just been started and it okay it hadn't like caught on or like turned into a furnace essentially gotcha the deceased were id'd as 
A. Raja Thankam, 60-year-old, his wife, 58-year-old Dr. Jean Padma, their 26-year-old daughter Caroline, and a relative who was a 70-year-old visually impaired woman called Lalita. And she had been living with them in the home for the past few years, basically. But conspicuously missing from the home was the 30-year-old son of the couple, Kadal Jinsen Raja. They expected his body to be found there or he should have been lurking around the home somewhere because he never left home, according to the neighbors. And so him not being there was suspicious right away. So at once, bolos, or be on the lookout for, were put out for Kadal as a person of interest. They suspected that he had something to do with this horrific crime spree or he was another victim of whoever did commit the crimes and needed to be found at once. So whatever they actually believed, they needed to find him. The neighbors and various relatives of the family had come forward to share their thoughts and speculations with the investigators. And with over 90 testimonies, the cops felt that either Cadel was their man or he had been the last victim of this crime. Except he was nowhere to be found. Yeah, you can't be running off in this situation. Unless you want to be, like, suspected, probably better to just stay put. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about the Raja family. Now, this was a very sheltered, quiet family. And this was the quintessential last house on the left, so to speak. The doors and windows of the home were almost always sealed shut. The family members weren't seen milling about too much outside. The trees and bushes were all overgrown and a little unkempt. Very little natural light entered the home, and it was very dark and moody on the inside because of that. Now, this is very unusual in Kerala because they have the open house plan, typically, which is like Mm -hmm. they will have a central courtyard and the rooms are built around that courtyard. So the home gets plenty of natural light and ventilation. That's the Mm -hmm. style of home in Kerala. But -hmm. not this one. That's why I called it the last house on the left. It just had that personality, that aura. And people felt like it was a little... Weird. Uncanny. There was an inherent darkness that seemed to pervade these walls. Now, Raja Tankam, the patriarch of the family, was a retired college history professor, accomplished in his line of work. Not very outgoing, but that's okay. That's fine. His wife, Jean Padma, was a retired cardiologist. So that's a highly specialized doctor. Okay, so these are people of some renown. She was a well-earning, highly skilled professional. These were educated, moneyed people because both of these professions, they make good money. The impression that people got from them was that of isolation and the inclination to be left alone, to be aloof and quiet. This is what the overall sense of the family was. But like, what is this family doing in this creepy house? Yeah, have you seen pictures of the home? I'm trying to find some now. If you just look at like a couple of articles, you'll see a picture of the house. It just looks very dark. Ominous. Yeah, it does. Yeah, ominous. Now, the family was known to be religious, but not very social. 
And usually when families are religious, you know, they'll go to church or their temples or whatever's their place of worship and socialize there with other people of their community, right? Right. But this family was not known to do that, at least not too much. They kept to themselves, mostly. They all lived in their rooms on the upper floor of the home. And that zone was out of bounds for everyone else. So even the cooks and the maids, they were not really allowed to go up. That's a bit strange now, yeah. They barely spoke amongst themselves and only met when they all came down for meals to the ground floor. It's not sounding like the happiest home. Sound like they're all stuck with each other somehow and they're just sort of like trying to get through it. A maid who also cooked for them and lived in the home on the ground floor gave a lot of information to the police about generally how the family operated, their personalities and and the events before and after the murders. And along with the maid on the ground floor lived Lalita, who was a 70-year-old visually impaired relative. I think she was either a sister or a cousin of the wife of Padmajin. Nothing we know of so far justifies these brutal deaths. No. Yeah. Okay, they were weird. You can live however you want. Yeah. Even if you're weird. Who cares? Now, why were they all murdered? We'll find out, I guess. And can we talk about Cadel? Yeah. Can we talk about the sun? Because I did the preliminary image search. And a lot of pictures of a very creepy looking fella come up. And I'm assuming that that's Cadel. Yes, that is Cadel. Like, I don't want to talk to this person. Cadel was a 30-year-old living at home with his parents. And while that is not unusual in India, kids do live with their parents. At least the men do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Women will get married and leave the home. But guys will generally live in their ancestral home and inherit it and whatnot. Yeah. That's not the odd part. The odd part is that he was perpetually entombed in his room day and night, playing and developing violent video games. Oh, interesting. Is there like an Indian equivalent to an otaku? Wait, are they called otakus? No. What are the Japanese shut-in like people called? There's a name for it. You know what I mean? But I know what you're saying. Yeah. I don't know what it's called, but yes, I have seen that like in... Japan and even in China, right, where these people just play games nonstop. They're just eating ramen all day, <laughs> sitting in that chair, not getting up. They're called hikikomoris. Hikikomoris? Yeah. Yeah, that's what he was. That's what Kadel was, essentially. Now, when I read that part, I was so pissed off because, I mean, it's a little bit of a reach, as usual, by media to blame violent video games and such. Yeah. But in this circumstance, I don't know, like maybe it did contribute to his disturbed state of mind. Maybe it helped to perpetuate it. Or was it like a result of his already disturbed state of mind? Yeah, it may have been a consequence of his disturbed state of mind. Not necessarily the cause. Like a byproduct of it. Yeah. Now, Cato never did well in school. He had to switch from one school board to another and take easier classes to try and make it through the education system somehow. His classmates from school remember him as being a poor student, often being beaten by the teachers for not knowing the answers to questions and failing a lot of tests. Now, this whole beating by teachers is also normal in most parts of India. 
We're not shocked. Even if it's not great, we're not shocked. They also remember him as always having very expensive, trendy gadgets. Okay, well, his two pretty successful parents, so that tracks. Yeah, a little bit of that rich brat type, maybe. I don't know. But from the sounds of it, he seems to have some kind of learning disability. He's always been like that. Like, he didn't do well in school the whole way, through and through. And unfortunately, back in the day, there weren't any support systems or even the belief that some kids truly need support and need non-traditional learning resources. Yeah, like I wonder how many millions of kids have suffered silently and were just labeled lazy or stupid when they were just different and they had different needs. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. We don't know if he just had a learning disability or he was just neurodivergent. We don't know that yet. But the system labeled him a failure, basically. Okay, gotcha. So, like... For whatever reason, he wasn't doing super well. Now, Cadel had initially enrolled to study MBBS, which is what you study to become a doctor, like his mom, and his sister Carolyn, because she had just completed a degree in medicine from China and had returned home three weeks before the murder. And I have a feeling this MBBS degree thing was not his own choice, and he was probably coerced into medicine by his family. We see this happen so t- so often, like all the time, especially in Asian communities. Like doctors always want their kids to be in the medical field. I don't know. Perhaps they feel they can guide them in the careers and be good mentors because they already have the contacts and the knowledge. But it doesn't always work out well. You know, if the kid doesn't have the aptitude or the interest, the medical field is tough. You can't just... Get up and be like, oh, okay, I'll be a doctor, I guess. I feel like not everyone should have a doctor's temperament either. (laughs) Like, we definitely need some people in the world to be able to be doctors, but we also definitely need that not everyone in the world has the, like, temperament and the personality needed to be a doctor. Because doctors have to have a certain level of ability to detach, And some of the most successful doctors and surgeons and specialists in the world are actually sociopaths. Right, yeah. So, yeah. But good sociopaths, because they're able to use their ability to their advantage. But yeah, not everyone needs to be like that. Best if they're not. Like I said, it doesn't always work out. Just like in Cato's case, he dropped out of college within a year. And then he joined engineering, which is the other field all Indian parents push their kids into. (laughs) It's either doctor or engineer. They're just really lacking a bit in the originality sometimes. Things have changed now. This is like 2009 when Cato was going through this whole turmoil, academic turmoil. So it turns out that he wasn't into that either. Surprise, surprise. I mean, he wasn't passing the tests. He may have been into it, but he wasn't able to formally study it and excel. I don't want to judge a book by its cover, but this guy doesn't have the face of someone who enjoys, like, a rigorous academic pursuit. (laughs) Is that mean? That's mean. Yeah, Yeah, let's not say that, because I'm sure there's, like, millions of people who look like that. But I'm not even talking about the, the general look. I'm talking about the look in this guy's eyes. Mm. 
we're actually going to talk about that in just a little bit like his face and all that stuff okay yeah yeah we'll let's just that. get to it yeah it's just weird you just look weird weird alert poor Cadel, he flunked out of engineering after a couple of semesters and he had gone to australia to study so i'm sure a lot of money was invested into this pursuit of education for him and he was just failing nonstop, like one thing after the other but he started to work for some tech company in Australia developing software components used in gaming. Mm-hmm. Um, the articles say that he made some kind of a search engine used in gaming. And he sold that to an Australian company and he had a bit of money because of that. Okay. I mean, that's kind of impressive. I, I don't know how to do that. I'm hoping this is true. I don't know if he actually did all of that, if he just lied or I have no idea. Yeah. About his actual skills in the field, but this is what was in the news article. And he claimed to be working in this field over the years as some AI developer in the gaming industry. That's what he called himself. So whatever he was doing, he stayed in his room 24-7 doing it. He had no friends. He didn't socialize. He claimed his parents humiliated him and they were embarrassed of him owing to his academic failures. So he was kind of um, resentful, I suppose. Put into more isolation? Mm-hmm. It sounds pretty repressive and abusive, doesn't it? Like the whole environment? A bit. The whole situation, there's stuff happening when the maids aren't there that we don't know about. And it's, I don't think it's good. But then this is a 30-year-old who was choosing to live here. And have his parents pay for his lifestyle. So I don't know if he has much of a right to complain about it. If it was so bad, he could have left. He should have left. I mean, if he's actually neurodivergent or if he hasn't been given the life skills to leave, you never know. I don't know why I'm sympathizing on one hand and then I'm, you know, I'm all over the place. I don't know what country I'm in right now, Pia. (laughs) I mean, it's not wrong to give people the benefit of doubt, in, especially in a case like this where it's not clear what his mental state was and mm-hmm. is and if it left him feeling inadequate to fend for himself. Mm-hmm. And he was kind of at the mercy of his circumstances, really. It's possible. Like, we, we, we can't say. We got to approach all the angles, like good armchair detectives. <laughs> Whatever it was, he was getting worse. And he was gearing up for a horrific end, much like the Amityville case from New York. I think he said the devil made him do it or something, right? Like he heard voices and... This is an article from allthatsinteresting.com. And I'm just gonna like read straight from the horse's mouth. It says, in the early morning hours of November 13, 1974, one Amityville house in Long Island, New York, became more than a mere suburban home. Instead, it became a ghastly crime scene as Ronald DeFeo Jr. skulked the halls with a rifle and killed his parents and his four siblings in their sleep. He later claimed that there were voices in his head urging him to kill, and some believe to this day that he was indeed hearing evil spirits that resided within the so-called Amityville Horror House at 112 Ocean Avenue in Long Island, New York. The next family, or a family that lived in the same house some years or some time later, 
had another strange incident of like murders happening in the house. So then mm. that's why this whole like legend of uh haunting came to surround the Amityville house at that address. Yeah. So at least the initial crime and the nature of the crime is very similar to this case, I feel. What do you think? Right? It's another like potential family annihilator case too. Are there a lot of these in India? I feel like there are. There are, yeah. We'll see later what more these two cases have in common, that esoteric okay. part that I was talking about. We'll, we'll see that in a little bit. I mean, not cool, but cool. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's talk about how the killer was caught. So after the bodies were discovered, the cops led by ACP Baiju were hot on the trail of Kadal, and they tracked his phone right away, but it was switched off for two days after the murders. They put out his pictures on all the railway stations, bus stations, and even on airports so he couldn't leave the country. But just two days later, Kadal's phone suddenly turned on, and they caught a signal. Weirdly enough, he wasn't really running away. He was coming back towards Tiruvananthapuram from the Chennai area. The killer was returning to the scene of his dastardly design, and this is not something we typically see in such cases. I thought that's the saying, is they always return back to the scene of the crime. Not when you are a clear suspect. Right, yeah, 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 no. <laughs> if you're like a total stranger and the cops have no idea who you are, you might take the risk of hanging around and watching the proceedings. But if you're clearly suspect number one, you're not coming back. <laughs> you would try to disappear into the billion strong population. Okay, so his phone came back on. They were tracking him. He was heading back home. Mm -hmm. And much to the amazement and confusion of the police officers, Kadal Jinsen Raja, was caught without resistance from the Tampanur train station. He was quickly taken into judicial custody to try and crack the case of these four grisly murders. What had set off the violence? Surely there must have been a trigger or extenuating circumstances. What was it? Rage? Money? Ancestral property? Inheritance? What's going on? This is too much violence. We have no idea what happened either. We just like we don't even know how the how the family was killed, right? Yeah, we will in one paragraph. <laughs> okay. <laughs> now the answers that they got from this strange man just made the case even more puzzling and left the cops scratching their heads. Let's talk about the murders. The murders from the confession of Cato. Now, Cadle was cool, he was calm and collected, even during the harsh interrogation. He was quietly and calmly answering their questions, and even the toughest of questions didn't faze him. He answered with a smile and the nonchalance of a casual conversation. His demeanor was unnerving, and it prompted the cops to later seek medical clearance so that they could confirmed that he was fit for trial. I guess he spooked the cops out too. Yeah, well, like what questions were they asking him? What were his responses? 
Well, Cadel was spouting a whole bunch of nonsense. But we'll talk about that in just a little bit. First, let's go over the sequence of events as confessed by Cadel. On April the 5th, Padma Jean was home alone, that's his mother, with just Cadel up in his room on the upper floor. He called her on the pretense of showing her a new game that he had developed. Innocently, she came into his room and took a seat in front of his computer monitor, waiting for her son's proud achievement. Maybe he was finally taking off? I'm sure she was hopeful. She was instead made a pawn in Cadel's most devious game of death. When he struck her in the back of the head with a hatchet, she fell to the floor where he struck her a few more times to make sure that she was dead. Oh, ouch. Okay. Brutal. There was blood all over the floor, which he quickly wiped up and then dragged her into the bathroom to hide the body. In a few hours, Cadel's father and sister arrived home, and this sick killer went down, had lunch with them, and then, with the same excuse, called his sister Carolyn up to his room to show her his new game. He hit her with the hatchet, but she didn't die. And so he slashed Carolyn's neck with a machete to make sure that she bled to death. Then he hid her body, wiped up the blood, and then called his father, Raja Tangam, to see his new game. So he's just picking them off one by one with the same ruse, yeah? Same ruse, same technique, same exact result. All three were now dead. Their bodies were in the bathroom. Some in pieces because he had hacked them so hard. Oh my god. Now this hatchet had been purchased online. I was just about to ask, are these everyday household items to have a hatchet and a machete Or did he, like, go out and get them? You gotta have your coconut machete, right? Absolutely, yes. In Kerala, every home has coconut trees, banana trees, all kinds of fruits and vegetables growing, and they do have these kind of tools. So it's not unusual. Yeah, but he actually, like, got the at least the hatchet online? He bought it on Flipkart, which is the Amazon equivalent in India. Okay. And he purchased it months ago. Months. Interesting. So he had been planning this for a while. The machete was bought from a local Chalai market. And Kadel had even practiced using the hatchet on several boulders or big rocks in his yard. What the hell (sighs) is going on? This is premeditated. This is not a spur of the moment fit of rage. This is cold, calculated murder. So he cleaned up and wrapped the bodies in sheets and kept them in the bathroom. And then he just went on with his life for three days. Because remember, this is not a very social family and no one's allowed to come up. So no one really knows what's going on up there. There's something like very convenient about the whole thing, too, that he could just like call one in after the other. And they are so like already living such separate lives in the same home that like no one noticed that. One or the other was missing. Their lives were so compartmentalized. Like, did they not notice that the mom wasn't there for lunch? He may have lied to them. We don't know. 
So he just continued on eating, sleeping, and playing video games in his room like nothing happened. When he ordered food from the local restaurants, he made sure to order for five people so as to not raise suspicion. So smart. So smart. And I just wanted to point out that for the next three days, while he's doing all of this with the bodies in the bathroom, there is a maid and the aunt, Lalita, who are living in the ground floor. None the wiser about any of these murders. Right. I think like in a day he told them they've gone somewhere because he definitely messaged close relatives and friends of the family telling them that, the, that his parents and sister had gone on a trip and that they shouldn't call or message them for a while. So this is probably what he told Lalita and the maid as well. It's like 2017. No one becomes like unreachable just because they're on vacation anymore. It's so stupid. Yeah, and like they're like, oh, I'm gonna be on a beach. I can't call you because you know I won't. There won't be a telegram machine close by. I can't. Right. Exactly. <laughs> there are no pigeons where we're going. How will I send you a message? I don't know. Expect me to call you from a payphone because I will be away from home. For the foreseeable future. I'll send a little messenger boy on a horse. A little page boy. <laughs> well, they bought it. Whatever this guy says. I mean, what are they going to do? Say no, they're not on a trip? I guess they accepted it. Three days later, he decided to kill the aunt, Lalita Jen, as well. Okay. Why? He said because she was helpless. And he felt that he had to do her the mercy of death, of killing her. Because there was no one left to take care of her now. Right. But so why did he kill his family, <laughs> the caretakers in the first place? Come on, you're not seeing the compassion in this um, sweet killer's thoughts. In this last murder? Yeah, I guess not. So he called his poor blind aunt up. I wonder what he told her. Come listen to my new video game, auntie. He killed her up there as well. Hacked her body. Put it in the bathroom. Okay. So we have four murders that he's actually confessing to. So he came, he showed up, police got him, and he's just, what, confessing? Yes. He's just telling them everything. He's spilling the beans and smiling the whole time. Yeah, that's the thing I was going to mention earlier is like you have all of these photos of him getting arrested and he's got this like very, very creepy smile in almost every photo. Like he can't stop smiling like it's plastered on his face. He's very proud of himself or he just finds the situation kind of amusing or I don't know. It's really weird. So can we talk about why he did this now? Like I'm... I'm dying to know. So when he killed all of them, at that point, now Lalita is missing too. And the maid who lived on the ground floor with Lalita, now she's like, wait a minute, where's Lalita now? I mean, yeah. you said your family's gone, but where's this aunt? What's going on? Kato got really angry on her and he told her to get lost, basically he told her to leave. Mm -hmm. And he then went to his uncle's home for a meal and even gave his uncle 10,000 rupees out of the blue, which is kind of odd. I don't know why he did that. Maybe it was kind of like his goodbye. Maybe that uncle was nice to him when he was little or something. I don't know. He felt 
some sympathy or he felt a connection with this uncle because he had a meal with them, gave him some money. I guess he knew he was going to run away and he's like, goodbye, uncle. Maybe it was like weird for him to be having lunch with this uncle. So he was like, well, if I, it was a bit of like a guilty conscious thing. If I give him some money, maybe he won't like think about it too much because he'll just be happy to have money. Now, very quickly, the body started to decompose because Kerala is very hot and very humid. So on Saturday, which is on the fourth day after the murders, when the stench of the bodies and the flies and the bugs were becoming an inescapable problem, he decided that it was time for his next move. He proceeded to douse the bodies in gasoline that he had purchased a week before, as according to his plan. And he set it on fire. The fire was weak and it didn't catch on as he had expected. But it raised the alarm within minutes. And the fire department came in and Cadel had to run, run with nothing <laughs> but his phone, I guess. I guess he like didn't see his planning all the way through because it seems like he planned kind of meticulously up until this point but shouldn't he have known that he was gonna need a little more kick a little more firepower to finish the job maybe he wasn't thinking clearly clearly something is off in the brain but what what is the explanation for all of this what is the explanation? What's the motive? Let's hear <laughs> one of them. Okay. Cadel claimed to be an advanced master in the art of astral projection. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> is that something you expected, Alex? Uh-huh. <laughs> of course. Naturally. He said he had killed his family in a bid to separate their souls from their physical bodies. So now their spirits would be free. Wait. Yeah, he had liberated them. This is related to being a master at astral projection. According to him. So he can project his body and now he's killed his family so that they could project their spirits as well? Uh, you know... What? <laughs> we really shouldn't try to make sense out of this. Okay, okay. Oh, my brain hurts. Now, he had also constructed a dummy of himself out mm -hmm. of metal and junk and put clothes on it, his own clothes on it. Oh, my God. And he had tried to burn that with the bodies as well. I don't know if he thought that the cops would mistake that for his body and not look for him. But he also said that the dummy would serve as a vessel that his family's spirits could enter into. And then somehow he would be able to control them and become powerful. Oh my god, he's been watching too much Full Metal Alchemist. Oh my god. He's trying to create an owl. Yeah, he's like going full tulpa. <laughs> he's going full tulpa in this. Hey, Sarge, check out the skeleton. It's made out of tin cans. And a coat hanger. And a coat hanger. It's got a coconut husk for a head. Oh my god. According to Cato, he came back because he expected the souls of his family to have returned by then. And he thought he would find the four happy souls at home, you know, liberated from their mortal life and thankful to Cato for their freedom. But why? 
I can't even begin with this garbage. Why do they need liberation from their... <laughs> I'm so confused, Pia. I don't get it. Like, why? This man's theories make him sound insane. Yeah. Just like he wanted, maybe? But if you're gonna be insane, at least have, like, a coherent insanity. The whole point of insanity is that it's chaotic. <laughs> is that an oxymoron? Yeah, okay. Okay. If our listeners just go Google Kadal Jinsen Raja or Nantan Kode murders, look at his arrest pictures. He has the creepiest grin plastered on his face. It's eerie and completely inappropriate. Just so creepy. It's out of place. You should not be smiling like that if four members of your immediate family have been brutally killed. By the way, I know we just skimmed over it, but I'm sure some of our listeners are thinking, what the hell is astral projection? Oh, true. I just like assume that it's <laughs> common knowledge. Everyone knows what this is, right? I mean, come on, we oh, talk my. about this all day, yeah. all day, every day. Well, astral projection is the psycho-spiritual effect of having out-of-body experiences and consciously remembering them as if you were walking around in real life. So basically, your soul or your essence or your spirit or whatever you want to call it leaves your body and travels around in the astral plane. You can allegedly visit places and people, but they will not be aware of you as you are nothing but a specter, a phantom, invisible. This is also called remote viewing because you can see things literally anywhere in the world and allegedly in any point of time because it is outside the realm of time and space. What did you call it? Psycho something? Psycho spiritual effect? Well, you're certainly psycho. <laughs> but um. <laughs> Yeah, all of this sounds pretty fake, as if, like, it's some garbage. Well, Alex, guess what? What? If it was that fake, would you believe that the CIA believed in it, too? I mean, I would, because I know the CIA is basically a bunch of fluffernutters, too. Well, never mind. Let's not, let's not, um, I don't want that to be on public, public record that I said that. Fluffernutters. Fluffernutters, oh my god. <laughs> Sorry. I'm very, like, disoriented today. Yes, so the CIA believed in it enough to form their own team of elite remote viewers during the Cold War era to spy on the Russians. Right. Is this part of, um, what is it, like, uh, MKUltra or whatever? Uh, no, this was called Project Stargate. Ooh. Mm -hmm. I highly recommend a documentary called Third Eye Spies. Interesting. Go check it out. It shows everything about this group and the mysterious members of the team, a lot of whom died under suspicious circumstances later in life. The CIA's classified studies on this, on astral projection and remote viewing, were partially declassified in 2003. So you can actually go and read some of it online. A link to it on our website. You can go check it out if you have free time or interest. Okay, Alex, we gotta, we gotta stop here today. Okay. Okay, so looks like this one's gonna be a two-parter, and I'll cut it right here. And next week, we will discuss what astral projection is, what remote viewing is, yada, yada, yada. And of course, our conclusions and Bollywood corner as well. 
So tune in next week for part two of the Astral Murders. We would absolutely love it if you could support us by sharing, following, liking, subscribing all over social media and the streaming platforms where you listen to us. All your support is priceless to us. So go ahead and do that. If you have any thoughts on this case, any other case, if you have case suggestions, reach out to me on Instagram at Crimes from the East or that is also our email, crimesfromtheeast at gmail.com. And that's about it. Namaste. Bye.